On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time Imon Irti Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Machan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetoch, Ara, Igornamion, on Kestian Echo. Vientalem again Omgrev, Orkorn Rachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranla, called but of a gun put into the back of your skull, that's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm Not Here to Hurt You, a brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. This is an Irish independent podcast. Another week, another dramatic derby comeback. This time with Ulster coming out on the right side of the result, beating Munster up in Ravenhill last Friday night. There was also a comprehensive win for Leinster, but Connacht suffered heartbreaking drama in Edinburgh with Ben Healy of all people kicking the winning drop goal. So all in all, a very busy URC weekend for us to discuss on the latest episode of the Left Wing Podcast. Will Stattery here. Glad to be joined by Luke Fitzgerald and Keen Tracy. But before we get into the weekend's talking point and some of the provincial stuff, Keen, I wanted to discuss actually a talking point that I wanted to bring up last week. We just kind of ran out of a bit of time. And that's kind of David Nusifora moving on at the end of the season. David Humphreys coming in to replace him. The role was created, you know, 10 years ago almost for David Nusifor, this performance director position, kind of overseeing Irish rugby. You know, obviously it's been well documented, the things he's done in the intervening, intervening period. But for David Humphreys coming in at the end of this campaign, if, if you were him, what would be kind of top of the list for you in terms of what he needs to do, what he might look to change? Anything in particular jumping out at you in that regard? Uh, women's rugby is the, the immediate one. Um I think while David Nusifor has done some brilliant stuff um, in his time in charge on the men's side of the house, the, the women's team has been a disaster, really, you'd have to say. When you look at the heights that they were at and where they're at now, playing in WXV3 over the last few weeks when, you know, beating teams like, you know, whoever it was, Kazakhstan, was it, and teams like that. But um, that's a major issue. There's already, I suppose, been the wheels are in motion there. The fact that they have a new head coach in, it does seem to be like a fresh era, but like there's lots of problems still kind of beneath that as well in terms of the domestic game. 
you could say that about the the men's side of things as well. The AIL, like David Nusifora, kind of fell out a few years ago. I still think the AIL is an important part of of Irish rugby. Um, you see the amount of young players that are coming through that pathway still at the moment. Um, I think provincial coaches are even maybe more open that, than they have been in the past about younger, particularly academy guys who maybe aren't needed. So I think that that would be good to get that connection back, Will, as well. Um, like, it's such, it's a big job, like, isn't it? Like, big shoes to fill as well. I think one of the big advantages of David Nusifora coming in from the outside was that he did not care whose toes he stepped on and he annoyed a lot of people with that. But in his mind, it was for the betterment of Irish rugby. And if you were to look at the success that the men's team have had since he's come in, I mean, he has played a key role in that, pulling the strings behind the scenes. So they are big shoes for David Humphreys to to fill in. I think it'll be interesting to see the dynamic. Clearly, like he's got a lot of experience, Humphreys, but he he knows a lot of people, obviously, in Irish rugby. That goes without say. He's obviously from Ulster, whereas, like I said, Nusifora was coming in and he didn't really care kind of who got in his way and like it worked well a lot of the time. So that's um, going to be an interesting dynamic. I think, you know, like does Humphreys kind of look at the amount of, I suppose, young Irish players coming through the systems? Does he keep trying to continue what they've been doing? Obviously, Nusifora kind of behind the scenes was encouraging guys to move provinces. We don't want that to become diluted but you look at the amount of players that are coming through particularly off the back of winning back-to-back Grand Slams there's a lot of guys need game time so do they have a look at that and see where all these young players go and so it's a lot it's it's such a wide ranging remit uh, Will obviously like I haven't even mentioned the sevens and it's no surprise that David Nusifora is you know staying on to see what you'd have to say is the fruits of his labour going to get the Olympics yeah, like, I mean, and in fairness, like, I know the sevens isn't for everyone and it's caused major friction, particularly on the women's side, and I can understand that, but the sevens is still enjoyable and it's great to see another avenue for players. I mean, you look at someone like, you know, Jordan Conroy, Billy Dardis, these kind of lads who have really made their name for themselves in sevens. So the fact that both teams are going to be in Paris next summer is, you know, really, really a massive achievement. Obviously, the men were in Tokyo last time out. So, um, look, I think it's good to round it off, Will. I think it's good that the IRFU have got their business done early because I think that my understanding is that David Humphreys will come in and shadow New Sephora for a while before he kind of exits stage left. And that's a good thing as well because obviously he'll have a bit of a, a leg up before he takes on the role um, next year. But it's certainly a big, big job and big boots to fill I would say yeah look it's interesting obviously when David News 4 came in Keen touched on it there like he was Australian he had no ties to the Irish system so you know he, he didn't really care who he was upsetting or or if one province was a bit pissed off with him compared to another like David Humphrey's obviously steeped in Ulster tradition like you even think of a kind of a key moment in News 4 or a key decision he made saying no to Ruin Pinar bringing John Cooney in there like David Humphrey's is an Ulster man like if the roles were reversed, is he would he be would he have been willing to kick out the top import in the country at the time for a kind of an unproven you know Irish young scrum half? I don't know the answer to that, but these are the kind of dilemma not dilemmas or or interesting questions. I'm kind of looking forward to seeing how it is navigated over the next couple of months and years in terms of how he manages being from an Irish system and kind of having kind of a, that connection to Ulster. Yeah, look, that's definitely a challenging thing, you know. And look, that's that's the essence of management, isn't it? You know, I think sometimes you've got to look at things and say, well, look, is there 
you know, it, we don't know if that was the right or wrong decision with Pinar. Um, you know, certainly, certainly ruffled feathers. Um, Humphreys is a lovely guy. Uh, I was got to play against him a couple of times as well. Um, but he's tough too, and he's a smart guy. You know, so I think it's a good appointment. Um, you know, Keen mentions that you know the the shadowing component, which which I think is actually quite important because I think you always want to put your own flavor on a, on a role and make an impact. But this isn't a role that you need to reinvent the wheel on. Bar the women's game, I think, needs obviously a, you know, a serious... It needs something. It needs something to happen. It needs some impetus somewhere. Uh, hopefully, he'll be able to provide that. Um, but there's definitely some kind of challenging things in the, in, the, in the way that game... In the way... In the setup of the women's game. You know, the, the, the sevens versus the fifteens and, and what's, what takes precedence. That is a really, really challenging thing to try and reconcile because it looks like the sevens really funds the women's game. So... Um, that's a really challenging problem to have and hopefully he can find a solution uh, and get things mo- moving in the right direction. In the right direction because they should be very strong, uh, our, our, our women's teams. Um, but um, look, I think, I think he, he doesn't need to reinvent the wheel. He, he can see what's working by shadowing New Sephora and he can pick maybe a few areas where he thinks, Do you know what, something different might, might work there. Um, and I always like to see someone from the... the I like to see some kind of a pretty indigenous talent running running the game as much as possible because they, you know, not that people don't care. Sometimes you need a cold, hard look from the outside or new, new, new ideas. But he's gone away, and I think he's got a bit of that. And I think that um, it's a really good appointment. I'm really excited to see about it. He was always a really good thinker on the game as well, so he should be able to bring, you know, a pretty. Um, I'm going to say cultured because he's been abroad a bit as well. But a pretty cultured rugby view. And maybe he'll be able to bring something a little bit different and, and get Ireland over, over the hump. Because really what everyone's going to be judging him on, aside from the women's game, I think, is, yes, can he keep the consistency going? But can he get us over the hump in four years' time? Um, that's, I think, going to be a big thing that maybe is a bit of a black mark on New Sephora's book, is that we've never really progressed, even though there's been some brilliant consistency between um, the, the World Cups. So um, I'm really excited about it, and I think it's a really good appointment. Yeah, it came for me, like, obviously... You know, from the, on the men's side of the game, you've touched on a lot of the women's issues that he'll need to have an eye, keep an eye on and make sure they're improved. But from the men's side, you touched on it. Getting game time for all those young players in the next four years, for me, is the top of the list. I know New Sephora kind of ushered in that era I referred to, you know, Pina and Cooney and stuff like that. That was kind of one of the most high-profile one, but there's been plenty of other movement in between that. For me, that's the big thing, like finding game time for all these young players coming through. You know, how he does that, you know, David New Sephora and the RFU obviously did that Emerging Ireland Tour I noticed some sort of kind of academy all-star team playing some Zebra Benetton academy teams, I think, in, in, in a couple of weeks' time. So that's kind of an avenue. They're going to have to get creative, I think, in that kind of sphere. They are. And I think it was the last um, the last time New Sephora did his kind of state of the nation, because we only get to obviously chat to him a couple of times, well, maybe even once a year. Um, but he made the point, uh, I, I said, I think it was last year, that there is going to come a point over the next uh, couple of years where there's just going to be a major logjam in Irish rugby. And I've touched on the fact that Ireland have won back-to-back Grand Slams. There's a lot of talent coming through. Everything I hear, like I tend to cover a lot of the twenty stuff, and apparently the 20s group for the coming season are even better than the last two two years, which is amazing to think, really. So, like, even though we've seen a lot of players coming through, like, there's more coming behind them, which is very, very exciting for Irish rugby. But, of course, you have that issue then, where do they all play? And I agree with you, Will. They probably are going to have to get a bit more creative and imaginative around what they do. I mean, I don't know. It is it more kind of loan moves they look to bring in? 
you think back to, I mean, the one big example over the last few years was when Ronan O'Gara came in and tried to sign Jack Crowley for La Rochelle at a time when Jack Crowley was obviously way down the pecking order at Munster. That's changed completely now. But at the time, you were kind of wondering, would a year or two playing in France, like under someone like Ronan O'Gara, what would that do for his development? Now, of course, the IRFU and David Nusifora could turn around now and say, well, look, Jack Crowley is potentially going to be Ireland's first choice out half uh, come next year's Six Nations. So that worked out just fine. But it wouldn't be any harm, I don't think, for some of these younger guys to go off and experience something else for a couple of seasons. It doesn't mean that they're going to be out of sight, out of mind. I mean, you'd still have people keeping in touch with them and the door should always be open because you don't want... like. It, times in the past there have been and it's not just young players either and Luke might know I mean could have played with guys like this like guys get comfortable within provincial setups I feel like and they're not really like willing to kind of push the boat out like I mean we've discussed this a few times with the likes of like Jordy Murphy comes to the top top of my head like he probably could have stayed at Leinster for another couple of seasons but wasn't getting the game time that he felt that he merited went off to Ulster and was getting the game time so guys like that who were willing to kind of step out of their comfort zone and it would be nice to see maybe more encouraging of that and not just in Ireland maybe further afield obviously the IRFU are always going to well generally going to retain their top talent we know how well the Irish players are well looked after here whether it's terms of game time whether it's in terms of you know the wages that they're on but um the guys kind of on the maybe the the couple of rungs down the guys that are coming through we're going to find it hard to get game time particularly as the season progresses i'm sure we're obviously going to get on and talk about the the start of the urc season what we've seen but the amount of young guys we've seen over the first four weeks of the urc urc season has been really really encouraging but as the campaign progresses you're going to have more and more of the frontliners back even this week you're going to have more leinster players back so um that obviously reduces the amount of opportunities that these guys have. So I agree with you, Will. I think that's going to be a big challenge for for David Humphreys because, I mean, he's got his his finger will have been on the pulse as well. Like his young son, um, is it James, was part of the Irish under-20 setup a couple of years ago. I'd say David Humphreys knows exactly the level of talent that's coming through this system. And like I said, it's not going to slow down anytime soon if we're to believe about the 20s group that are coming through for next year. Yeah, and, and can I, can I, do you mind if I just piggyback on that one? I think that's really some, some really good points around that. And I know, see, there as well, there has been some kind of fi- financial constraints around, you know, rugby and, and, and during this period. And I think that, I think Ireland are producing some really high quality players. And I do wonder about that. So, yes, loaning internally, but also I wonder about loaning externally, you know, so you, you keep the foot in. So whether you get a little bit creative about the finances, whether you say, well, look, we don't want to lose this talent. We want to make sure we keep in with them. But maybe how about we go, we pay half the wages and, you know, a club in Wales or Italy or somewhere like that pays the other half. Do you know what I mean? These kind of things, you could definitely get a bit creative about that. Make sure people are getting exposure to, to frontline games. Like we definitely have, um, you know, I think we have great depth. And I think we've loads of guys coming through. And I just don't think there's going to be enough opportunities. And I have just seen, you, you did mention about, you know, you know, did I, did I have a view in it? Or I might have a view in it. I, I certainly do. I think I have seen so many really, really good rugby players just sit six months or a year too long in a province lifting weights. You know, and, it, and I just think sometimes it's worked for a few people. And I think the Crowley one be something that someone in the IRF you might throw back in your face. But actually, I think that's one, that, that's a real case where you say, that was blind luck. That, like he could, if, if Joey Carberry is still fit, doesn't get injured. Um, 
you know, if Ben Healy doesn't go to 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 Edinburgh, um, you know, where where would he really sit? We we don't know these things. Now these are things you can't know, right? But and and people would say, and, and you look at him and you think, Do you know what? I think that guy just from what I've seen is probably going to get there anyway. He just looks like he has the temperament for the big stage. He's tough, da, da, da. He's got all the bits. So he's probably going to get there. But you can still miss a window at that age, get an injury at a bad time. You look at Frawley. Frawley is a real example of that to me, you know. Um, a couple of bad injuries in a row. He's playing full back on the weekend, you know. Um, for, from a guy who looked like he was really pushing to get in maybe that second slot behind Johnny Sexton at one point, you know. So I, I'm, I think it's a really good idea. And I definitely think that some new thinking around the talent um, is the best use of the talent, even though it might impact you if you're playing against them maybe in the league and you know they have a big impact at another club or something like that. So uh, I still think getting them the game time is still more important than having them sitting in your academy. I know the argument is going to be, well, I have you know Stuart Lancaster coaching me the last couple of years in Leinster and you know I felt like I was learning a huge amount every day. I have Roundtree. I have you know, good coaches, in fairness, in, in the provinces, I think, uh, and really good setups, great training, etc. But there's certainly, in my mind, a gap around game time that needs to be addressed, and I think someone needs to be, someone needs to be a little bit more proactive with the younger guys. And I think the, their own coaches need to be a bit more proactive. Whether that's, you know, three month moves, so it's not you don't lose a player for the entire season, and you do have the option maybe to call someone back if you have an injury crisis or something like that. You could definitely be pretty creative about that, and I'm sure other teams would be receptive to, to receiving some of the talent in. Um, particularly in, in, in Italy and in, um, I think, maybe some of the ones in Wales as well, even though they've lots of players. like they, they could, It would make the league a bit more competitive too. So I think there is something there. I don't know if they want to share the resources, but I think it develops your resources rather than diminishes what you have. Yeah, that's the key point about sharing the resources. Like, cause, like ultimately, you're, you're mostly talking about Leinster in an Irish context. Like, if I'm Leo Cullen and I'm being told to loan out a couple of promising academy players because I'm already playing... I'd be just like, no, I'd rather not, to be honest. Like he's had a go at me for it. So yeah, I know. Yeah, like in, I agree, I agree with you completely. Everything you said. Like, I think of two players, not it's not apples and apples comparison, but you know, after Saracens got relegated, Ben Earl and Max Malins took the year out on loan to Bristol. Ben Earl was player of the year, Max Malins was sensational. They ended up getting into the England squad off the back of that. An example of kind of using the loan more creatively. I'm not sure where the impetus comes from in that regard from a loan deal. Like, and I don't think Humphreys has the autonomy to make players go on loan. Obviously, you know, Leinster and Leo Cullen would have to sign off on that. Why would they? Unless it was a guy really, really, really far down the pecking order. I think ultimately we're talking about a few guys who are really good players that won't play, who Leinster will want to hold on to in the event of an injury. Whereas the guys they'd be willing to let go on loan are guys ultimately that probably won't be featuring in meaningful games anyway. And the guys, like, I mean, if we're talking about younger guys going off, I mean, how much can they really actually share with an opposition team? I mean, if they've only been in the setup for a couple of years and spent a couple of years in the academy, I suppose, and you're you're right, Will, I mean, if you are Leo Cullen or Graham Rountree or any of the provincial head coaches, you obviously want to keep as much talent there as possible because, like, an injury crisis like Luke touched on is only around the corner. But I suppose... A lot of it is about coaches probably being honest with players as well. Luke mentioned the the Ben Healy example, and that's a really good example in terms of, you know, Ben Healy sat down or had a phone call with Andy Farrell and, you know, a straight up conversation, where do I fit in the pecking order? And Andy Farrell was honest with him and told him where he was. And Ben Healy said, well, okay, I think I'm good enough to play international rugby now. And off he went to Edinburgh and played at the World Cup for Scotland. So I know that's maybe a little bit of an extreme example, but 
Andy Farrell could have bluffed it and said, oh no, we see you as part of the plans, whereas he was honest and now Ben Healy is dropping goals to, to be Connacht at the end and playing you know, on the world stage with Scotland. So maybe if we had a little bit more of that and possibly it's easier for Andy Farrell as the Ireland coach for an out half who's considered to be down the depth chart is a little different to Leo Cullen compared to like, I don't know, a prop who's maybe third or fourth choice and because obviously he wants to keep them as well. But the thing is as well on that, guys, like the player has to be a bit... Um, like I, I think you have to be able to assess your own situation honestly as well. Like I think you have to be able to figure out, well, you know, if you're third choice in the pecking order, like are you really going to be how how like how do you get in the Irish team? So I, I I am assuming that every single player playing in Ireland, playing in all the academies from all the ways, all, all, all those age groups up, want to get in the Irish team. That's the ultimate goal. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong on that. Maybe it's to play for the provinces. But I think let's aim for the Irish team. Okay as our basis for how we're, how we're, you know, assessing ourselves. If you have two guys who are ahead of you, who have international caps, who are a decent age, who are getting paid more money than you, they genuinely have to play bad for a long period of time for you to get in. Even if you play great in all the games leading up to it, they are generally going to get a couple of opportunities against the bigger opposition to get into the Heineken Cup matches. And that is how you get in to the, to, to the Irish team. Make no mistake about it, there are very few players, unless there's a real injury, you know, Injury issue. If you play well in the Heineken Cup, you're generally going to be in the Irish squads. That's how, and that's how you get into the Irish team. And if you're playing, and you want to be starting in in, in the in the provincial uh, Heineken Cup games, and that, to my mind, has always been the basis for that. So, if you are two or three down the pecking order, it is unbelievably difficult for you to get in and stay there unless you shoot the lights out. Particularly, say if there's an injury crisis and you get in for two of the games, you still have to absolutely shoot the lights out. And I still think. You know, Johnny Sexton coming back in, Kaylin Dars coming back in, you know, whoever it is, Porter, Furlong, they're still going to come straight back in for the next one. I think, unless you've been like outstanding, which is very, very difficult to do coming in just, cold, cold just enough. Just coming in on that, Luke, and ask you a question, obviously, like, because players are surely like, they're always going to back themselves. They're optimistic. They're like, because I, I agree with you. On the outside looking in, you'd think that, that they would recognize that and be like, oh, maybe I should change something. But that doesn't seem to be the case. We can all think of five, six guys off the top of our head who are really talented who are in that position you just described. Like, you, you've been in dressing rooms. Like, players will automatically back themselves even if they are third choice. I feel like they're going to be thinking, oh, I'm one injury away or I'm one good performance away. Why would I leave? That, like, that would probably be their thinking, I would say. Yeah, but they're... Yeah. Well, I don't know. You want to have a look at yourself there, you know, because there's no way of getting to the top of it. I agree with you, by the way. So you, you are 100% right, Will. And that is, I think the mindset for a lot of guys. But there's also a lot of guys who that isn't the mindset for. Like you think of your, your Jack McGrath, Jordy Murphy's, they're all, like Jack McGrath was a lion and he went up to, to Ulster because he wasn't going to get the game time that he required to get back in the national team. So there's loads of guys who are able to look at themselves honestly in their situation and go, do you know what? Like I can't be living off the 20 or 30 minutes, you know, the other side of Keane Healy's start to, to get in the team. I need to be playing the 60 or 70 minutes and coming off. You know, there's all these guys that were able to say, well, I think I'm better than that person, but I need to show it. And I need to be playing the same amount of minutes as that person at a very minimum. Um, and there's loads of opportunities. Like, I think um, the other provinces, like, there, there, there's lots of good coaching in the provinces now. I just feel like there's all the resources seem to reside in, in, in one place. Well, not all the resources, but a huge amount of the resources seem to reside in Leinster. And I just think I've seen some of the quality coming through now behind us. And God, that player looks like a good athlete. He's, that, that person could definitely play at the top level based on their, on their physical abilities. Working from there, 
well, what do they need? They need exposure for the skills and, and how, you know, the feel for the game at the top level. So they need to play somewhere else. Are they are the other coaches good? Like, I think the setup in Ireland is brilliant in all the other places. So I wouldn't be as worried about heading off um, to the other provinces. I think you'll still get good coaching. The cha- like, there's loads of challenges with this, but I think the, the premise of it is right. Like, of course, oh, you're going to be giving up insider secrets. Uh, you know, maybe a way you combat that is, look, you're not allowed to play against your, your old province. Like football, football contracts have lots of that kind of stuff in them, you know. You can get creative with these things. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just feel like it would be very beneficial for, for lots of guys. And I think we'd love to see, I don't know, as a supporter of Irish, like as a, as a person who only wants the best for Irish rugby, I'd love to see more of these, these guys get an opportunity outside to play games. I want to see them play the games. And I think they'll get a lot better from it rather than just lifting weights. Um, and I think there are definitely ways we could be creative without sacrificing, you know, all of the hard work um, that's being done in the provinces to develop players. I don't think you need to do that, Will. I don't think you need to sacrifice it. One doesn't, you know, um, you know, one doesn't cannibalize the other, if you like. I think um, like that is a key part as well. Like me, we don't want to see the rivalries being diluted either in terms of players. And I don't not suggesting that that's what you're saying, Luke. But you don't want to see players. Ultimately, we're only talking about probably a small quarter players. And it's also worth mentioning, Will, that in fairness to the IRFU and Andy Farrell, they have been creative, particularly over the last kind of year. Or so, in terms of trying to create opportunities for for extra players, for more players. Because if you think back to the the two games that Ireland played in, two extra games they played in New Zealand, the Ireland A game they played in November, and even the Emerging Ireland Tour, I know they went over and they played poor enough at African teams, but you had guys like Jack Crowley and Joe McCarthy, like these guys ended up making the World Cup squad in the end because they had that exposure to the Ireland coaches who were part of that. So that's worth mentioning as well, I think. Yeah, like, and it's a good problem to have, I suppose, ultimately, in the sense we're talking about, like, there's almost too much talent, you know. But ultimately, Keen, as you said in your first answer, there there will be sh- some sort of logjam reckoning. Like, we've won back-to-back Grand Slams under-20s, another one in 2019, en route to one in 2020 before COVID hit. You're saying this year's team is even better, so that could yield more silverware, more talent. There's just simply not enough spots for everyone to to play. Um, so, yeah, it will be interesting to see over the next number of, seasons or even in the short term what they do to, to get game time into some of these guys because you know we see them in the summer getting to the World Cup final losing to a very good French team you know the out half in that French team kicked the winning penalty for La Rochelle at the weekend you know are the guys on that team getting the same on that scrum half with the scrum hat who was unbelievable has played a good bit for Clermont as well Baptiste Chouneau like I know they have a lot more teams so it's easier to get people game time and stuff like that but you are kind of looking at the other side. I know Brian Gleeson and Ruin Quinn and Sam Prendergast have played this season as a Paddy McCarthy, so maybe, to be fair, they are getting opportunities early in the season. But when the guys come back, how many opportunities That's will the be qu- there? Will, it, it, there's no point benchmarking off the start of the season when everyone's away. It's, it's, I think the bit we're talking about is when everyone's back, no? Yeah, to, to an extent, I suppose. But there, there are kind of senior guy, or more senior players in provinces who aren't starting at the moment, and the younger guys have gotten starts. So I would see that as a you know, broadly positive. But I know I take your point, obviously. But then at the same time, like, the internationals are internationals for a reason. Like, I get your point about if they're out of form and stuff like that. But I don't know. I don't, there's not really any way of balancing that. Like, it's not as if you'd expect guys 2021 to be starting ahead of established world-class players who were in form either. Uh, that's but that that strengthens the argument we're making again anyway. Because yeah. I think you are, I, we're, I think we're both saying the same thing. Yeah. Is that those people deserve to get... Yeah. 
a little bit of leeway. Like they are world class. They've shown it on the big stage, you know. A, a, um, a lot of it, I think, Luke, as well, is about the the culture that you create within the the provincial environment. So, I, like, I'll use Munster as an example. Like, like from my understanding, like in, under the previous regime, there would have been a lot of frustration amongst the Munster squad that you know certain internationals were undroppable despite the fact that they maybe weren't playing that well and Graham Rowntree would have seen I mean and probably felt that unrest that would have been in the squad whereas he came in last season like he left Conor Murray out of a Champions Cup game he left Keith Earls out and he was playing the likes of Shane Daly Calvin Nash quite fair enough they're not 18 19 21 they've been around for a few years but when you think that in, in before there was a kind of a hierarchy, and of course there is always going to be a hierarchy to a certain extent, but that creates a more competitive environment. And Munster reaps the rewards massively from that last season when you see the role that the, the lesser lights, for want of a better term, they've become key players now. But that's hugely, hugely important, I think, as well to creating the sense that, you know, I can break through here. If, if someone is an international, I am still going to get my opportunities. I think Munster is a very good example and they deserve a lot of credit, Graham Rowntree and the new coaching staff for coming in and fostering that, I think. Yeah, for sure. He really did, like, make a concerted effort, uh, you know, versus the Van Graan era. And so speaking of uh, Munster, Luke, you know, obviously they came out on the wrong side of that derby on Friday night against Ulster. Graham Rowntree afterwards as well, like, very blunt, straightforward about how disappointed he was at Munster's performance. They were 14-3 up after 20 minutes, didn't score again for the rest of the night. It's funny, we were singing their praises last week about how much potential, and obviously that's, that doesn't change after one result, but still a very, very disappointing performance considering the position they were in after a quarter of the game. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? And they certainly had enough quality on the pitch to 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 be better and to, to, to show better. I mean, they had, I think they had over 60% territory um, you know, and uh, and lots of possession. You know, made something like 50, forty or fifty tackles less than the Ulster as well. Um, so yeah, they'd be disappointed. They look fairly blunt in attack, whereas the week before, look, I know the opposition wasn't as good, and like that's fairly clear. But just didn't seem to be able to get that to. to, to they didn't. They just looked a little bit blunt la, um, last weekend, I think, um, which I think was disappointing. I think his words were, "What, what was did, did, did Graham say? Did that wasn't us out there?" Um, you know, and and it didn't look like them either. What I would say is they're still bloody difficult to beat, aren't they? Um, you know they're they're a tough team. I think like they, I think Munster have come a, a long way in the last while. That was a disappointing performance for them. I expect them to bounce back. Um, you know, but they were sloppy. They were pretty sloppy. I think throughout. I mean, I think they gave up penalties in lots of places. They didn't need to give up penalties. Um, you know, they were their tackling was was pretty sloppy as well. They dropped below that that ninety percent. Um, and they were over that kind of so the, the two key metrics really from a defensive perspective they're they're over ten penalties and they get twelve penalties and they were below ninety percent in the tackle so look I think they'll look at and say well look there's lots of big things here that we got wrong um, and look they will need to be a bit more uh, you know they need to be better when, when they have that that kind of territory and that amount of possession versus the opposition um, which look at the same time you have to credit Ulster I thought Ulster were were, were plucky um, they gave away some sloppy stuff themselves I mean the first Casey try I mean. <laughs> Just sloppy, isn't it? You know, after who knows what goes on the scrum, but you just, you know, there's just a few soft ones. I thought um, both Casey tries like burrowing under players. Uh, like that. Well, like, he's hard in fairness. He's easy to get. He, you know, he'd expect him to get lowered in the fairness that yeah. close to the line. He got under um, a second row for the second one. Was it? Is it short <laughs> right? Like Ar- Ireland, yeah, could have, no, Ireland could have done with that in the quarterfinal <laughs> under Jody Jordy Barrett. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he has a significant advantage there, height <laughs> wise. Um, but yeah, I think. Um, yeah, look, the Balakun, the Balakun uh, tr- uh, tackle on, um, I think it was Crowley. 
um, off the wraparound play. It was just a little bit soft, wasn't it? He should have really taken him down a bit quickly. Now, good strength shown by Crowley, but very hard to stop Munster once he got that close to the line. And they did well. I thought he did well to actually hold him up from the initial bad tackle, but they were sloppy themselves, Ulster, put themselves in a bad position. Um, but they, they showed a lot of fight, you know, and I, th- I think they capitalized on some of uh, Munster's sloppy play and sloppy defense. Um, and I was pleased with them because that was a tough one, uh, you know, last weekend. We, we did climb into them after that one. Um, and I did think it was well, like their, their internationals made a big impact when they came on the pitch, didn't they? I thought like that was, that was kind of pleasing for them and kind of turned, turned the game for them. So, um, yeah, look, it was a tough one for Munster. They need to bounce back quickly. I think they're in a better place than I've seen them um, even at the start of last season. They just look a little bit tougher. They have a little, little bit of belief, I think, from winning so well at the end of last season, I think. Um, and I expect them to bounce back. But yeah, look, they were definitely sloppy, Will. Yeah, it's funny you talked about the start of last season when Munster famously made that terrible start. Like A lot of the guys who ended up winning the league with them were out in that Mickey Mouse tour in South Africa. It's probably one of the reasons they started so poorly. I think Shane Daly, Calvin Nash, Jack Crowley, Anton Frisch, I think we're all out there. That's basically half the back line that ended up winning the league, but that's neither here nor there. Keen, what about you? Anything you want to add to what Luke said about the match? Yeah, like, I mean, Munster going 14-3 ahead and not scoring for, what was it, 60-odd minutes, not scoring at all in the second half. I was going to say that you just can't win a game like that, but then I'm thinking of the World Cup final when South Africa went, what did they go, 46-7 minutes, was it, without scoring a point? So it can be done, but um, yeah, like 14-3 up away from home, you're thinking, like, this is a dream start, and I mean, I would give Ulster a lot of credit, but Munster just seemed to take their foot off the pedal. Um, guys, yeah, just I think guys, when they reflect on it yesterday or today, will be really disappointed, I think, with a few individual performances. I don't think by any means it's time to to panic. But at the same time, I mean, these are the kind of wins that can really bolster your season when you're going up against your Irish rivals. We've just spent however long talking about, you know, how competitive it is for places. And Luke is right. I mean, the champ or the yeah, the Champions Cup is kind of where it's at in terms of benchmarking. But so are these interpros. I mean, you saw Simon Easterby was over at the Dragons game on Sunday. You can be sure Andy Farrell, wherever he is, maybe on a nice holiday, is watching on closely as well. So these ga- these games do count and like the Champions Cup is only around the corner the six nations is going to follow soon after that um i thought like on the monster side of things um I think you could see that Frisch and Nankavell like had just not really played together a lot. It looked a bit clunky, I thought, in, in midfield. Uh, definitely a lot of potential there. But I thought that added to the bluntness that maybe Luke's talking about. I mean, when your centres just don't seem to be on the same page, I think that's going to be a bit of an issue. It reminded me actually of um, uh, Bundyaki and Stuart McCloskey playing together in Rome earlier this year. But I do think there's loads of potential in Nankavell. I've actually liked what he's seen. He's been very strong around the breakdown. Had a couple of brilliant uh, jackal turnovers and we know what Frisch is, is capable of so if Nankavell can slot in at that 12 that could be a very tasty uh, Munster centre center partnership but they clearly weren't on the same wavelength and I thought that kind of contributed to the attack I thought on the Ulster side of things um, like massive massive like balls to, to to come back into that game. I mean, you had a guy like Dave McCann, who I know has been earning rave reviews. He's another one who'd probably fit into that category who's been coming through over the last few years, a former Ireland under-20 captain. We've been kind of waiting for him to burst onto the scene and it looks like kind of now is his time. I'm kind of a bit like Luke, like reluctant to read too much into anything at this stage of the se- season in terms of teams form. Like you mentioned there, Will, last year, Munster's a really tough start and then they come on to be URC champions. I'm also a bit reluctant to read too much into 
like players for him. I mean, overhyping him too much. But Dave McCann was was excellent. Whether it was line out steals, whether it was breakdown steals, there, you can see Ulster using him a lot in the wider channels, kind of where Caelan Doris tends to pop up a lot when he's playing number eight for Ireland and Leinster. He looks like he's really pushing on. You had Scott Wilson coming off the bench and um, like what a cameo from a 21-year-old academy prop. He had that massive carry uh, before he absolutely minced Munster at the scrum and obviously massively helped by the fact that Rob Herring had been on the pitch who... A lot of the a lot of the Irish coaches would say that like well a lot of coaches would say that like Rob Herring is arguably the best um, Irish scrummaging hooker around, which is seriously high praise when you consider the the talent that's there. But they made a big impact, didn't they? Ian Henderson as well, like he had a massive break when he came on as well. And I also thought that they both brought a huge amount of leadership, steady hand, kind of when the game was in the melting point. And I thought Munster lacked a little bit of that, actually. I think they'll be a bit frustrated by that. Um, a couple of guys, maybe, you know, there was a time earlier in the first half, I think it was Craig Casey's first try, where um, Ulster must have conceded was it three or four penalties in a row. And because Munster scored the try, there was no yellow card. But like, you're kind of hoping your captain is getting in Frank Murphy, referee Frank Murphy's ear, saying should still be yellow card here. You know, little things like that, whereas I thought Henderson and Herring came on and you could really see what they brought. But just go back to Scott Wilson. I thought over the first four weeks of the season, it's been encouraging to see, and while I said I'm not kind of getting carried away with anything, I've been writing about this in today's paper and online, it's been encouraging to see that there's a, a good few props, young Irish props kind of breaking onto the scene. Like Scott Wilson, I wouldn't say many people would have been hugely aware of before last weekend, certainly outside of Ulster. He's been playing for Queen's University in 1B of the IL. He won a Grand Slam with the 20s last year, but he certainly wasn't um, one of the star names. Um, you've guys like Paddy McCarthy, who you mentioned, Will, uh, Jack Boyle, who's looked very good for Leinster as well. So when you're kind of looking at the depth chart of the, the Irish props, you know, we've seen the reliance that's been on Andrew Porter over the last few years. We saw it at the World Cup again. Tyg Furlong, I don't think, has been at his best, um, I think, for, for quite some time, actually, the Tyg Furlong we know. So I think it's encouraging to see more kind of younger guys. I think they're still a good bit off playing, you know, getting into a Six Nations squad. But I think it's very encouraging to see 21, 22, 23-year-olds starting to emerge now because Ireland could certainly do with some fresh blood, I think, particularly on uh, the loose head side because you see what the big teams are doing in South Africa, France. They're basically rolling off um, fresh front rows and Ireland in the big games are trying to get every last drop out of the likes of Porter and Furlong. They're not getting any younger. I know Porter's only still 27, but it's definitely encouraging to see more young guys, I think, breaking through. It's funny you mentioned Rob Herring there. It just reminded me of him in the third test in New Zealand, breaking off that mall and scoring. And then I remembered Ronan Kelleher's attempt in the quarterfinal. This made me disappointed and sad. I kind of zoned out then for a few seconds and just kind of wistfully looked out my window and just thought about what might have been. Um, Luke, you know... I thought I heard you sobbing quite quietly. <laughs> silently <laughs> crying. I muted my microphone for a few minutes. Um, Leinster, obviously, you know, Hammer the Dragons, not a whole pile to, to read into from that. Connacht... Luke, very disappointing kind of way they lost that game. Kind of, a, it's one of these things that I feel like only Connacht would lose lose a game like that. Sometimes you know where they they have they have to just gather a kickoff and clear the ball. They drop the ball. It ends up being a scrum that after a few phases they win. Then their scrum half throws a dreadful pass. A ball goes out in the full, and all of a sudden they lose a game that they should have at least got a draw from. Which considering their next, I think five league matches are against the Sharks and the Bulls away, and then Leinster, Ulster, and Munster. Every point is vital. So that I that just really frustrated me watching the end game there. I hadn't actually looked at the next couple of fixtures in a row for them. That's um 
what's an app? There will be blood, I think, possibly. <laughs> um, hopefully not for them. Like they've got off to a good start to the season, but uh, I think that was definitely one that got away from them. Like if you think of the tries they conceded, even the first try, uh, the the Goosen try. I mean, I think um, I think it was Shield that 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 um, that had the turnover that ripped the ball out. Now it was lovely. It was a lovely bit of play from Edinburgh to get the ball out that wide, and they did finish them. Lovely run by Bennett. Um, to, to make the break on the outside and put Goosen away in the end. It wasn't directly him, but he was. it was lovely play. Um, again, we're a dangerous off turnover ball, but even that was a bit sloppy, wasn't it? Because they, they'd actually had about four or five really nice phase plays before. I mean, the ball handling, look, they, I think Connick would definitely be a threat with the ball in hand this year. Um, I think the other side of the ball might be the more important and might dictate how they actually end up doing. Um because you know you just need to be a little bit stingier. I think you mentioned the sloppiness. I thought there was sloppiness throughout the game. It's the word of choice today for for Munster and Connacht. I think um, just lots of penalties and silly positions. You know, um, you know, even the penalty they gave away um, when, after Edinburgh, Ashuma got the yellow card. You know, just just things like that. Like they they only netted out like a four point game once Schumann was off the pitch. When really they actually had lots of good opportunities during that period and shouldn't have shouldn't have really given up easy points. Um, you know, with the man advantage there. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think there's lo- there's lots of positive things. And Edinburgh is a tricky place to go away and play uh, and, and get the win. But if you just think about the game in context, I, I just feel like that was one that got away from them. You mentioned the last phase of the game. They should have got a draw out of it. But I don't know. I just felt like a, some of the, the tries were a little bit soft. Um, and I just felt like they gave away too many bad penalties at bad times. Like even giving up the scrum penalty on 70 minutes. Um, felt like I know they got back down and got the try to level up the game but that just felt like another opportunity missed at a bad time when Connacht have actually had a really good scrum percentage wise I think in the last couple of years in the, in the league you know they've been pretty strong there um, so yeah they were kind of I think maybe mental errors that I think they'll look to correct next week um, and definitely something that they'll be discussing I think um, you know Yesterday and today, when they're kind of getting prepared for what is a really, really tough run-in that you've mentioned, I'm sure that'll be in the in the coaches at the forefront of the coaches' mind, um, because they obviously will want to kind of can keep a little bit of momentum going from what was a really good start to the season. Um, you know, lots of lots of good work done. So, um, yeah, I hope they bounce back. Um, I do think you know the, that the, the discipline is going to be an issue for them. It, it, it has been an issue for for, for this Connacht team for the last couple of years. I think it's something that you need to be a bit stingier with. You can't give teams easy shots at goal on your twenty-two. You know, if look, if you're giving up penalties, give them up close to the line. You know what I mean? Just be a little bit smarter about it, particularly when you're in good positions. Will so that that's my that's my kind of um, assessment of them. It was a great game, wasn't it? I mean, yeah, I have to say, game. I was on the edge of the seat for it. Like it was a super finish. Um, hurt to see Healy get the last drop goal, didn't it? But um, yeah, it's still. I mean, you could see it was it was great for for the Edinburgh crowd were were buzzing you know, as as you would be with a, with a last minute finish like that. But um, yeah, just too many silly mistakes by Connacht throughout the game, and and the last kind of couple of minutes, pretty indicative of maybe some of the issues they had for the rest of the game because they were good enough to win that game. I thought. Keen, you know, you know what's jumped out to me over the first couple of weeks watching Connacht is, you know, to be fair, we were talking about it earlier about player movement and stuff. Is like they've been very shrewd in some of their signings. Like, you know, I thought Joe Joyce, that the Bristol second row, was coming. Finished for that try, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, but he's been really good the first couple of games. Real tough, abrasive guy. Like he's really put himself about. Obviously, like you know, getting Mac Hansen, you know, Seamus Hurley Langton, who I hadn't seen a whole pile of until towards the end of last season when he became a turnover machine against us for the quarters. He started really well. Like Byron Ralston in the back line, you know, is good. Like, they've been very good at kind of picking up sleeping for that that quick tap. That was yeah, okay. that was unforgivable. 
that, that was very poor. But generally, I think they've been very shrewd in, in their acquisitions. They made even like someone like Keen Prendergast, he came through at Newbridge, his brothers in the Leinster setup. You know, they obviously identified him as someone who, who had a lot of potential, and that's proved to be the case. They, they've been very good at like getting guys in that people maybe didn't want or didn't map as really top talents, and they've been key contributors. Yeah, I suppose that's the reality, though, Will. I mean, Connacht's budget just just isn't as big, and they have been really shrewd over the last couple of years. I always go back to what Andy Friend said um, a couple of seasons ago that Connacht have to shop in Brown Thomas. Or sorry, they can't shop in Brown Thomas; they have to shop in in Aldi, which kind of sums it up, really. But they've been they've been really good, I suppose. Connacht is a place where players feel like they can go and rediscover themselves if they need to. But Connacht are also producing, I think, plenty of young, homegrown talent as well. It also helps that they play decent rugby. They've got the new pitch in. They're getting new facilities. So it is becoming a more attractive place to, to play. And I think, you know, they've become in for a lot of um, praise, rightfully so, for the, the start that they had to the season. But I think playing three home games on the bounce, actually the opposite to what they had last season in terms of when the pitch was being done up, that was a massive help. But they're going into a really tough run, like you, you guys have both pointed out there. They've got Leinster at the back end of the trip to South Africa as well. They're hoping Mac Hansen will be back for that Leinster game. He has an ankle injury um, and Bundiaki is in a race to be fit for the start of the Champions Cup on December 8th, I think it is, against Bordeaux. They're playing them on Friday night. Bundiaki came back with a hamstring injury actually from the World Cup. So they, they need those two guys back, particularly when, when the bigger games come. But um, I think Pete Wilkins deserves a lot of credit there in, in terms of, you know, keeping the good work that Andy Friend has done. I mean, they've brought in John Muldoon, who obviously knows Connacht like the back of his hand. Mark Sexton has come in, run the attack. Scott Fardy has come in, run the defence. That's a lot of turnover in terms of different IP, different ideas into the setup. But this the transition so far seems to be pretty seamless. I think, like Luke is right, they'll be really disappointed about certain aspects of their defensive play, particularly that Mark Bennett try um, at the end. That is, you just can't, you can't concede a try like that. Turning your back on the play was was really poor, but that's been, I think, a bit of a work on their, their discipline and defence has been a bit, bit of an issue. Um, but Pete Wilkins says, you know, real steady-handed tiller. It reminds me a bit of when Andy Farrell took over from Joe Schmidt, that he kind of had the front row seat, you know, to see what worked, maybe what didn't work. And it seems like Pete Wilkins has come in like that. I think he's a really popular guy amongst the squad as well. And he's a steady hand. I mean, he's He's highly rated within the, the Irish system as well. Remember, he went on um, the tour to New Zealand last year as well. Definitely with a view to taking over as Connacht head coach. But that kind of goes back to the initial conversation that we were having around players in terms of having this joined up thinking. It's very encouraging to see that in terms of the, the coaching as well, because Luke was kind of touching on that David Humphreys, you know, an Irish guy coming into mm. a big Irish role. You look at Mark Sexton has come in now, got a massive job in Irish rugby in terms of running the attack on the back of what he did with the the Irish 20s so it kind of it kind of brings us back to the start Will in that that you know there's been a lot of doom and gloom after the World Cup but Irish rugby is actually in a very good place when you look at the structures that are in place the coaching across all four provinces which Luke has outlined earlier on and you you think back to the the level of talent that's coming through so um, a big couple of weeks for Connacht in South Africa that could galvanise them the Sharks have not been good um, under John Plumtree at the start of the season they'll obviously be a different proposition at home then they're playing the Bulls isn't it and then they've got Leinster at the sports ground before they go into Europe so this is a massive run after having a really bright start to the season this is a really tough run that they need to pick up I think a couple of wins on the road 
And you, the point about the coaching as well, like you'd be excited going down to Connacht. You know, there was periods where you're kind of going, oh, geez, I mean, what, like what's going to happen if I go down there? Like does my career get for, you know, like I, I just don't think that's the case down there. I, I think it's an exciting place to go. I think they play a nice brand. They've got the, the pitch kind of sorted now as well. Obviously, it's going to be windy there. Can't do anything about that. But you're definitely going to be able to play an expansive brand of rugby for most of the year there. And I think um, I'd be excited going down there. Um, and I think there's lots of young talent um, within the, the, the squad as well. So um, I think we should have higher expectations. I know we're, we're always kind of saying, you always want to temper at the start of the season, particularly when all the other squads have internationals away and stuff like that. But I just think, um, you know, you look at Fardy, Muldoon, nice guys, guys you'd want to play for, tough guys too, um, who really understand the game, who've been abroad as well, played in, obviously Fardy, lots of different places, but so has Muldoon played, uh, been, been abroad in a good setup. So I just think... Um, Plenty there to be excited about. And you'd have to think Wilkins, as you said, has a good reputation. But Sexton, like, I, I played, Mark was my year in school, you know, uh, excellent rugby player himself, got a very bad leg injury that kind of finished his kind of any chance of progression for him. But you'd have to think he's a good thinker in the game. And he's done so, like, I mean, what he's done so far probably speaks volumes to that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I really do hope that they can keep, get the stars back, like Mac Hansen and Bundy Aki, when they were on the pitch. Um, they were the stars, weren't they? I mean, Bundeke, obviously, but I, I thought Matt Hansen, whenever he was on the pitch, he has just come on leaps and bounds as a rugby player. Um, so I think there's plenty for them to come back if they can get them back for the big games um, and if they can build a little bit around some of the discipline and some of the concentration issues they had, they should be a threat for anyone. I don't think anyone would want to play Connacht. I think, and they've got a good scrum. I think I like some of the youth and some of the, some of the experience they have in that pack as well. They look pretty gnarly, I think, at times. Didn't they look pretty, pretty tough? Um, uh, in in that pack, so yeah, no, I, I think they're in good shape, Connacht. You know, um, the resources will still be skinnier, and injuries play a big part in, in how Connacht do in any year, I think. But if they can keep most of the frontliners fit, manage them well, there's lots of you know intellectual IP off the pitch now as well. I expect them to go well this year, actually. Yeah, and it's set to be an exciting few weeks as they head over to South Africa. But for the moment, that's all we have time for on the Left Wing Podcast. I'd like to thank Keen and Luke for joining me this week. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on independent.ie. So until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye.